Welcome to the Neojachuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamens. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. This week we begin our discussion on Chen Tinghua, the founder of the Cheng style of Bagua. Um, we talk about his training with Dong Hai Chuan, tell some stories of his life in Beijing, and then we discuss the characteristics of his style of Bagua Zhang, and then finally we look at some of his sayings on Bagua from uh, Sun Lu Dong's book. Um, and then in the uh, then in the Patreon episode, we continue our discussion on Tan Shu Fasher, the Buddhist monk. Uh, we talk about him becoming a monk, and then his later life, and in the final installment, we'll discuss the Heart Sutra, the text that he was famous for. After that, we'll get back to discussing the Nagong uh, system in the Patreon episodes. Uh, okay, I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening, and take care of yourself. Welcome to the Nagong Podcast with Isaac and Jess. Today, our topic is the famous Bagua master, Spectacles Chang, Cheng Tinghua. He taught in Beijing up until the year 1900. Today, he's one of the teachers whose students went on to spread the most throughout the martial arts world. So his style is very well known, and there's a lot of different versions of it out there. And so he's sort of a very central figure to the world of Bagua. So we wanted to take a few episodes to talk about him and his life, his teaching, and some of his teaching and practices that he passed on. I'd like to start with this article written by Liu Jingru, 1999. He gives a biography of Cheng Tinghua. Cheng Tinghua was from Shen County in Hubei. He was born in 1848 and died in 1900 at 52 years old. In Mr. Cheng's early years, he practiced Shuai Jiao, wrestling, and Shaolin. As a result of someone's recommendation, he asked to join Dong Ai Chuan's Bagua school. He deeply got the pure essence and spirit of Bagua Zhang. Mr. Chang was a large and strong man. He had an eyeglasses shop in Beijing. Therefore, people all called him Spiritual Strength Eyeglasses Chang. So one thing I wanted to pull out of here is that uh, here is his nickname, Spiritual Strength Eyeglasses Chang. I hadn't heard that one before. Eyeglasses is always his nickname. But here there's a, it's added on there, Spiritual Strength. I'm not sure what the Chinese is there, but it's something to do with, he's clearly a man of spirituality as well as a martial artist. Um, he, Mr. Chang had a lot of students, according to this article here. The one I wanted to pull out is that he mentions Guo Tong De as one of the students of Master Chang. And you and I had seen his name in the Power of Internal Martial Arts book listed on the lineage list of Grandmaster Liu Hong Che. Here's uh, Guo Tong De. The article says, Guo Tong De sold steamed buns to make a living. Men called him Steams Buns Guo. And that's the name that's in Power of Internal Martial Arts. Right. And uh, Liu Hongzhi's classmate, Zhu Baozhen, lists Guo Tong De, a.k.a. Steam Bun Guo, as the teacher of Zhu Wen Bao, who was Liu Hongzhi's teacher and really the first meditation teacher he had, Bagua meditation teacher he had, uh, as a youngster. So those are two names that appear in Power of Internal Martial Arts that we haven't been able to find a whole ton of information about, but it, their names do come up here and there. And 
this is the only place I've seen the two of them mentioned at, in the same sort of, you know, in the same place. That it's except for Power of Eternal hasn't. Yeah, except for Kumar's. So we don't have a ton on Steam Buns Guo, but here uh... and and Liu Jingru is the current sort of head of the Beijing Bagua. He's certainly the most decorated, the most senior Bagua master. Yeah. And he's also, he was friends with uh, this Zhu Baozhen guy who was Leo Hongjie's sort of younger brother, classmate. So there's all this connection between these two groups. Right. There's so many names going back and forth. And as we keep running across them, you keep just getting the sense that it's a very small community. The Bagua world is a lot in the 1920s and 30s is a pretty small group. They all are pretty closely connected and there, there could be a couple big factions, but there's a lot of crossover so between them. In Frank Allen's book, he has a photograph of uh, Liu Jinglin uh, sitting with Liu Hongjie and in the far row in the back is Zhu Baozhen and standing next to Zhu Baozhen is a young Liu Jingru. I don't know what the occasion of this event was, but <clears throat> it was just, they were all at the same place mm-hmm. at the same time and someone took a picture, but uh, it just clearly shows it was a small group of individuals by that period. I think always, really. Agreed. One of the best biographies comes from the Bagwajang <laughs> Journal, the uh, January 1993 episode, volume three, number two. And so Dan Miller writes about Cheng Tinghua here. Um, born in 1948, he's the third of four brothers and is uh, becomes fond of martial arts in his youth, is, as they usually do. And he left his hometown and went to Beijing to apprentice with a gentleman who made eyeglasses. Intent on improving his martial arts skill, Cheng also began to study Chinese wrestling when he arrived in Beijing. At this period in history, Chinese wrestling was very popular martial art. And the best wrestlers in Beijing were employed by the emperor as bodyguards. Everywhere the emperor went, wrestling experts would escort him. So Cheng Tinghua was thinking, if I get into this wrestling thing, I might have a, you know, an in to get in with the big-time martial arts of the time. He was not a big name in the martial arts world yet. However, most martial artists in Beijing knew of him and knew he was skilled at Shuai Zhao. So he built up his basis in Shuai Zhao. And I think it's people will say today that the Cheng style of Bagua includes uh, standing grappling techniques and leg sweeps and throws that are common to use in Shuai Zhao. And even some Bagua people still practice Shuai Zhao and compete in Shuai Zhao because it's such a closely related martial art to the Chang style of Bagua. So after doing all this training in wrestling, um, he's Chang at some point makes contact with the founder of Bagua, Dong Ai Chuan. So it says here that in 1970, I mean, in 1870, Dong Ai Chuan had become very well known in Beijing. In 1876, Cheng Tinghua sought out Dong in order to improve his skill. So there's nobody sure how it happened, but he may have befriended some of the other students and then uh, got a meeting with Dong Ai Chuan. And uh, Cheng is 28 years old at the time. When the two first met, Dong asked Cheng to use his Shuai Zhao against him. Cheng made several attempts to attack Dong, but was never able to even lay a hand on him. Cheng knelt down and asked Dong if he could become a student. At this point in time, Dong had not accepted many Bagua students. Although Dong had taught many people martial arts in the Prince Su's palace, it is said that he only taught Bagua to three people prior to teaching Teng Tinghua. 
The large majority of his students in the palace were said to have learned something other than Bagua from Dong. So anyways, he takes him on. He's, he's considered the fourth student of the master. Dong Aichuan died in 1882. So according to what we understand, Cheng studied with Dong for five or six years. Um, so this, he moves on to talk about how uh, Dong Aichuan was known to only accept Bagua students who were already skilled in another style of martial art. It is said that after laying a Bagua Zhang foundation with the circle walking, single palm change, double palm change, and smooth changing palm, Dong would teach the student Bagua based on what the student already knew. Taking this information to be true, we can assume that Dong Aichuan would have taught Cheng using Cheng's knowledge base of Shui Zhao. Um, so yeah, it's, that's all the different Bagua schools are based on what that student showed up with already. And Dong Aichuan would give them some basic circle walking stuff and then they would morph it to fit the system that they already had studied previously. Right. So the so so the Yin Fu stuff has a bit more of a <clears throat> straight line Shaolin type of flavor, where the Chen Tinghua has more of this Sui Zhao kind of wrestling flavor. Mm. And so Chang must have taken off in the school because, according to many accounts of Chang's life, they report that if a martial artist came to challenge Dong, they would first have to fight Chen Tinghua. In China, it was not uncommon for a teacher's senior student to accept all the challengers before a challenger would be given the chance to fight the master. Um, so he, he becomes sort of the school mascot front door guy who, who takes on the challenges, which is a place of honor for a martial arts student. Right. That's usually a position for sort of the young up and coming fighter of the, the young badass <clears throat> gets to be the guy who uh, deals with all the new visitors. So the article goes deeper into the link that is forged between Xingyi and Bagua. We've talked about a, that a lot during our discussion of Sun Ludong, because he's a product of that connection between Xingyi and Bagua. It says here that this, this connection began most likely when Cheng Tinghua and his friends Li Sunyi, Zhang Zhaodong, Liu Dequan, and Liu Weixiang got together to compare styles and learn from each other. So I guess Cheng must have been pretty open-minded to get together with all these guys and work, work together. Um, so the other Xingyi guys were all from the Liu Qilan school. Um, Cheng Tinghua was a very open martial artist who would teach his Bagua to anyone who cared to learn it. He enjoyed meeting other martial artists to compare styles and share the techniques and theories of martial arts. Um, so he just liked to do it for the fun of it. He wasn't one of those sort of rigid, mean-spirited types. It sounds like he was pretty open. And maybe that's why his style became so widespread, whereas maybe some of the other students were a little more private or, or jealous of their art. Or just kept it in, you know, as they say, kept it in the family and weren't into teaching it to anyone who showed up. So it says here that it was in 1894 that Cheng Tinghua and his friends, Liu Dequan, Li Sunyi, came together to form an organization to help improve the level of their arts. So 1894, 18 years before the forming of the Esteeming the Marshall Society that we've run across a couple times. So clearly this is the early phase of that movement towards bringing internal martial arts together under one umbrella. Next, we move on to some anecdotes about Cheng Tinghua. So here it says Cheng Tinghua would wear a 10 caddy vest of iron when he practiced Bagua and when he was at work during the day. They also said that Cheng would practice his crashing palm for hours by striking a heavy bag of sand which hung from the ceiling. He liked to practice his bagua while carrying a tub of water around in one palm and could do it without spilling the water, running out of breath or getting red in the face. 
So it sounds like, yeah, no, I'm a man of great strength and physical ability. There's one story where he uh, apparently would sit when he was doing the eyeglasses and he would stand on one leg mm-hmm. with his other leg sort of crossed over his thigh mm-hmm. and sit on an invisible chair. Because his leg strength is just so massive. Just do that all day long. Which is interesting because one of the techniques of Bagua is to be balanced on one leg and to take an empty step as you walk. Your your foot extends without putting any weight on it. You've really got to have mm-hmm. that single weighted just post that you stand on when you when you walk in Bagua. It really helps create the stability. And there's a there's that tradition also of wearing of doing it with weights and weapons and things like that to keep, give you a bit more uh, girth when you're walking so your legs have to do even more strengthening yeah um cheng tinghua was attacked by four wrestlers who taught wrestling in the forbidden city when cheng was walking near the moat just outside the forbidden city walls the wrestlers jumped him cheng avoided the attack and then one by one threw each of the wrestlers into the moat (laughs) (laughs) let's see any other good ones here um just some you know some big strong men came to challenge him there's a couple different stories there about different guys who came and then he would defeat them without hurting them and then oftentimes uh join up with the school um and uh the punchline Mm -hmm. being that all these younger guys were eating him out of house and home like each student he would take would stay for months and eat all his food there were a lot of uh for example guys we've talked about that trained with chen tinghua frequently showed up uh, you know, as Xingyi guys and to test their skill and then Cheng would toss them around and so they would bow to him and learn Bagua from him. And it was just mm-hmm. kind of this thing, oh, this gang. And something. the senior ones, he would and, sometimes take to meet Dong Ai Chuan, it says as well. Right, and then there was Possibly. also this friendship friendship level of it with like Li Yi and Zhang Zhengkui and I think a few others who would then, he would sort of bring with him to meet Dong eventually. So here, the article ends with Cheng Tinghua's death, killed during the Boxer Rebellion when the eight foreign armies invaded Beijing in 1900. Um, he saw the invading armies come to Beijing. He swore to defend his country from the enemy. He witnessed the German soldiers killing civilians, burning and plundering without restraint. Full of anger, he approached a German patrol alone and attacked them with knives he had hidden in his clothing. He killed eight to ten of them. But as he was fleeing the scene, he was shot. <laughs> so he managed to take ah. out eight to ten, which is, hey, that's pretty decent. A tragic end. It must have been pretty good to take out 10 armed guys with just knives. Yeah. That might be slightly sure. exaggerated. Next, we wanted to look at some of the words of Cheng Tinghua, some of his slogans, his quotes, his teaching formula. Um, his student, Sun Ludong, wrote this Bagua book in 1917. And chapter 23, on time and place in Bagua Boxing's training for spiritual transformation, he quotes some of the words of Cheng Tinghua. Cheng Tinghua on the usage of swimming body Baguazhang. So swimming body Baguazhang is the name given to that style of Bagua, right? The, the, that his style was known as the swimming so body. So Shun is the, is the Chinese word. Shun is swimming body. And sometimes they say Yulong, which is swimming dragon. But here they use the term swimming body. I suspect it has to do with the smoothness of those Shui Jiao arm movements. Is that what you think might be the Yeah, I think from? that's exactly it. Is it the, the, the more 
circular nature of it gives it a bit more of a looks like you're swimming and a lot of value is placed on the smoothness and liquidity of your movements as opposed to some bagua styles that have more hard chopping and and more sharp sharp feeling yeah motions yeah they have that kind of snappy something about that swimming body is a big part of this cheng style bagua so here's what cheng tinghua says sometimes sticking sometimes yielding sometimes expanding sometimes contracting sometimes separating sometimes nearing Sometimes crashing in, sometimes coming away. Suddenly disappear, suddenly appear. Sometimes suddenly separating so that you are apart from each other by more than 10 feet, then suddenly returning, closing right up in front of his eyes. Sometimes use the power of your whole body. Sometimes use one finger, sometimes two fingers, sometimes just one joint of one Mm -hmm. finger. Be suddenly empty, suddenly full, suddenly hard, suddenly soft, with no defined shape, transforming unpredictably what a quote that's goes i mean so many different opposites that he goes through but it's there's this poetry to it as well there's so each one of those is a uh this and that that and Mm. this right and and if you add those all up you sort of get to this thing of that there is no specific it it is this right it's because it's and that's the nature of change is that change is always moving from one thing to another so it's never fixed or permanent in any way it's always changing so so if you say it's one thing and then you also have to say well but it's also it's opposite essentially so he starts by saying sometimes sticking and in martial arts that's basically when you reach out your hand and the other person connects to it and you don't let them escape. You stay stuck to them. If they withdraw, you follow them. And then he says, sometimes yielding. So you sometimes you don't stick. You fall away from them. Right. Well, he's just saying, again, it's just saying, you know, you can do the more aggressive thing, which would be stick to the person and sort of control them. Or you can yield and let them do what they want and just sort of follow them while they do it. I, you have a yang and a yin, right? And this is the nature of everything in Bagua is that you're all, you're playing with this back and forth, right? So mm. where Tai Chi is essentially the yin, Xingyi is, is the yang. You know, Xingyi has yin things, it has yang things, but it, as a general rule, isn't playing with that gray area in between so much. Same goes for Tai Chi. It's mm. you can do a yin thing, you can do a yang thing. You can do a yang yin thing. You can do a yin yang thing. But there is this certain separation where Bagua works with what they sometimes refer to as smooth energy, which is where all of the things that can combine from taking yang and yin and mixing them together, that gives you all the rest of the uh, possibilities for change. This is the Yijing part of Bagua Zhang. Right. So I think what he's doing is he's laying out essentially like in the I Ching, it's it's a generally done as opposites, mm, heaven and earth, mm. fire and water. Right. And so you you're sort of getting physical examples of opposites, right? There's just it sort of describes a Bagua form of the of you're just lunging one way or the other, you're withdrawing, you're expanding. There's the forms are very fluid in nature. It's the way your body moves within the form. It's it's the body method, if you will, right? This shrinking and growing, expanding, contracting, 
undulating, twisting, all these things happening mm. at once. Well, the other internal martial arts use those same skills, right? They all open and close. Yeah, they just don't do it while you're... But the way Bagua does it is in in more extreme, wide varieties of, of change. Like you were saying, the changing is just constant. You might and she might stay stay uh, you know forward focused for quite a while. Yeah, I think the difference is because your feet are moving, right? That in Shingi and Tai Chi, when you do these things, you are fixed and you are doing a yin and or a yang thing. Bagua, it's all happening on the fly. Mm. So there's a certain level of never really being able to uh hunker mm. down into what you're doing so you're always having to shift and morph and change between one thing and another mm. and your stability comes from within your ability to change without getting stuck not from stopping and doing something and then doing another thing yeah. and stopping and you're taking so many steps like your opportunity to change is constantly there Every single time you step, you could potentially change directions in a big way. So it lends itself to that sense of just continuous changing. Well, One other thing here that I thought was worth mentioning is the power of your whole body. Sometimes, sometimes you use as little as just one joint of one finger. I, I assume he's talking about sort of a whole body connected power where even just one joint carries the weight of your whole body behind it somehow. So the final thing he says, you're suddenly empty, suddenly full, suddenly hard, suddenly stop, transforming unpredictably. I think transforming unpredictably is a very good way of describing everything we've been sort of walking around yeah. here. And I think transforming must be the word bienhua, which comes up in Bagua discussion. Transforming hua, I think hua is the word, means to transform, bienhua. I don't know exactly what it means in English, but I know it means that sense of continuous change and continuous flexibility, continuous. You're never stuck in one place. So every time something comes from the outside towards you, you can adapt to it quite effortlessly because of your ability to transform what happens inside yourself. Continuous change, constant stability. Something in you has to be continuously solid even though you are constantly changing and moving. So you never get the chance to put your feet down and plant yourself. Yet you always have the sense that if you had to, and you do sometimes, you can stop and be stable, right? But the, you have a structure, even if you're moving. Yeah. So in, in any microsecond that you were to break it down, you would be stable. Now that's challenging, but that's the goal is that through your movement, you gain stability through your change. You gain constant stability and that's flexibility just weird... and stability together at the same time. It's a very Taoist yeah. concept, right? That, that ca through chaos and uncertainty, you find comfort and center, mm. right? So the whole thing of Bagua is that, as all these things are swirling and changing around you, you just can still be walking the circle and changing direction and not getting. So rather than running away from uncertainty, you kind of embrace uncertainty by just walking continuously where anything could happen every, at any given moment, you just embrace that and be like, I'm just going to face <clears throat> this straight on rather than trying to like mitigate against it. 
Yeah, I like the thing in Sun Ludong's book where he talked about float it, you're a log or an object floating down a river, right? Mm. The, the log has no control over the fact that it fell in the river. And once it's in the river, all it can really do is try to flow with the river. There's no other option. And so the sense of Bagua is that your movements are happening within this constant state of change, mm. right? i.e. walking. And you have to find a way of being stable, even though things are not stable. So the next section we're going to look at comes from the Sun Ludan book of 1916, translated by Brennan. It comes from the words of Cheng Tinghua. Obtaining the firmness of the ground, you have essence or solidity. Obtaining the clearness of the sky, you have soulfulness or emptiness. Obtaining both, you have then achieved spiritual transformation. If you are practicing with such a goal in mind, you must pay attention to the time and place, the weather and direction. So this is an interesting paragraph. It, it speaks to, we spent some episodes talking about this concept of emptiness that keeps coming up in Cheng Tinghua's Bagua. And he associates it with the ground and the earth is the solidity, the essence. And then the sky he associates is with emptiness. And then you, spiritual transformation means bringing them both together. Right. Well, this is back to Taoist alchemy, right? You have heaven and you have earth. And then you have man in the middle. So the whole process is to take heaven and earth and mix them through the vehicle of your body, right? So you're achieving this spiritual transformation by means of flowing with heaven and earth. And actually accessing those things, he doesn't necessarily give you any step-by-step -step, uh, training here. Right, but he's. it ends with saying that the the things around you and and the where where you're the way you're practicing definitely affect what's happening so he's saying this isn't happening in a closed system the weather and the direction and all you know all these other factors have an influence on what's happening to you you're not just doing mm. it inside a vacuum mm -hmm. and i think each school has their own negong or some don't have any but some do that uh, that might you might do grounding exercises to feel that strength of the earth and you might do arms up to sort of feel the, the dropping of heaven or whatever. And then some schools get more and more precise with exactly what you're supposed to do. There are a lot of ways you can do this stuff. I mean, one aspect of it is just simply the idea of dropping your body from a high position to a low position, dropping your physical right. body closer to the ground and experiencing that heaviness. The, Dropping coming up, dropping coming up creates a certain expansion and compression in your body. So whether you call it Gong or not, if you're doing those type of movements, you are getting some of that stuff, right? Some of it's built in. Now, other schools have a more uh, precise program of how to do it that goes into the Bhagwajang system, but the movements themselves generally are following these principles of Taoist movements, right? Taoist Gong. And so that connection there, I think, is what he's saying is that there's a, just like with Taoist Gong, there's a connection between what you're doing inside your body and with the elements around you. As for the timing of your practice, when practicing on sunny days, begin with leftward circle walking. When practicing on cloudy days, begin with rightward circle walking. Generally speaking, adjust within each day, though there may be specific circumstances that cause adjustment within each hour. 
This is the attention to the right time. The best environment to practice in is either a lush mountain forest, a solemn temple, or simply a clean room. This is attention to the right place. So that's more specific than I thought. Like on a sunny yeah, day, yeah. start going left. So what? Yeah, I mean, he With has your that. left hand out, I guess. He has a thing about there's a difference between left and right, which I haven't honestly come across right. anywhere else. So I don't know where that that exactly is coming from. But it's just a, to me, it's just another example of uh, you've got a yin mm. and a yang. And somehow the world around you is affecting you. So on a spiritual level, I, I don't know about the specifics, but I know that you know attention and, and mindfulness of the world around you as you practice is clearly part of the practice depending yeah not getting locked into things too i think mm. part of that piece of just going in different directions depending on the weather is it changed outside why not mm. change the inside right so you're doing it mm. a little you're doing it the opposite so if you're mentally and clenched I, I, up about your practice you're not going to feel those outside influences sure i mean that's that's a given but this is a way of even if you don't feel it Right. You can, maybe you can't feel the difference between the yin and yang inside your body if you start associating one side with light, sunny, happy, you know, mm. all these, right? And the other side with dark and gloomy and all that stuff. You're developing a sense of yin and yang. Right. Maybe not the strongest sense, but you can feel the sure. difference between a sunny day and a shade. Yeah, you know, shade. I mean, he breaks it into dark and bright. That's where it all starts. Right, and that that ties into some of that old stuff, like in Marnix's thing about shady and sunny, right? Like you've got... That's what he said. The word yin is originally means shady side, and yang originally right, right. means sunny side, supposedly. And again, Taoism is is sort of lurking on the on the outskirts of all these discussions, and Cheng Tinghua was clearly into it as well. It would seem so. I think that's it for today's discussion. Let's do it again soon. All right, man. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, here's a short clip from our Patreon only episode on Tan Shu Fa This is from the first part. Um, you can hear both parts of the series on our Patreon right now. Uh, there'll be a third part coming out soon on the Heart Sutra. Also on the Patreon, we have interviews and training sessions and other exclusive content. So check that out. Also, leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram for images to go along with the episodes. And take care of yourself. Tanshu insisted that from birth, he was singled out as having a special fate, destined to become a Buddhist master. He was slow to speak as a child, and when he did utter his first words, they were not mama or papa, but chizai, to keep strict vegetarian diet prescribed by Buddhism. <coughs> Two, then three years went by, and still the boy said only, keep vegetarian, over and over. <laughs> Frustrated and concerned, his mother took him to a neighborhood woman with a reputation for wisdom. The woman declared that the child had taken Buddhist precepts in an earlier life and was attempting to keep them in this one. Um, so then it goes on to explain how hard it was to feed a child on a vegetarian diet in the middle of these war-torn conditions and uh you know just how everything about his life was just off to a bad start basically um, but he did survive his childhood um, he grew up with very little schooling in this in this rural village um so he went through a lot of different experiences uh there's a moment in his life that stands out as a big as a big moment of uh, shock to him is when 
his his friend his same age dies right at right in the day after his wedding when they're uh, late teens. After I saw him for the last time at the funeral, my heart was as if stabbed. I returned to my home so grief stricken I could barely stand it. I thought people suffer because they never know what the, what moment they may die. My classmate had been only two years older than me with a new wife and good circumstances. Why had death come so quickly to him? Was there nothing we could do to protect ourselves from illness? Once we became sick, was there nothing we could do to stave off death? These thoughts dominated my mind. So the death of his friend really started him on his religious quest of wondering, what is death? Why is this happening? How, you know, is this inevitable for all of us? 